Hey, welcome everybody to Talking Donkey International in our new television series, Country Wisdom. Let's set the tone for this new series of ours. It's found in Proverbs 4. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Join us now for Country Wisdom. You were a successful contractor for a lot of years, but life didn't start out very successful, did it? That's right. I was uh, raised in a Christian home, but that doesn't mean that it was a perfect Christian home. That uh, my I had uh, five brothers and sisters and lived with my grandma, and uh, my mom was a very devout Christian. My father was uh, raised uh, Christian, but he had some issues, and. Uh, he was abusive to us kids. We were uh, really? whipped regularly, and it wasn't just a spanking, it was a whipping with a, with a skinny belt. I still have uh, scars on my legs, you know, from the intense beatings. And in a home like that, I mean, you, it's called the no-talk rule. You know, we never did really talk about it. And at school, you know, I, uh, my mom wrote a note that I had burned myself on the uh, radiator you know, for, for the scars, and I didn't go to school for a week. I probably should have had stitches or whatever, but... Uh, so your mother was, was an enabler for all this, too? Well, um, yeah. I mean, that's the way it was, and uh, the way it is in a lot of abusive homes. And um, Homes that you would never imagine what's happening behind closed doors. Yeah, but I... Um, did, I was going to a Christian school and we went to church and um, we had uh, worship at home and uh, but um, I think my father he was uh, out doing things that uh, and he uh, eventually hung himself in the uh, Sacramento County Jail you know when I was 13 and the kids at school knew what happened and I didn't want to go to uh, Christian school anymore because all the kids and the, the pressure and so um, they asked me to leave because I was a uh, bad influence on other kids. I had started smoking and hanging out with the kids on the street that I grew up on and a lot of most of them were broken homes and from divorced and uh, so it wasn't long before I started uh, drinking and uh, smoking marijuana and uh, taking different pills, you know, like uh, downers and uppers, and uh, I think by the time I was 16, I was a uh, full-blown drug addict and alcoholic, and I remember standing up at the neighborhood uh, liquor store with my friends, and we would ask people to buy us liquor, you know, and uh, sometimes we would have to wait hours, but we would get our liquor. Before and, you found uh, someone willing to go in. That's right. But, did you uh, pay them a little bit? To, well, sometimes, sometimes they just did it. Just, uh, but the uh, liquor store owner, his name was Leo. He he knew us kids, and he told us that we were his best customers. Oh my! And, uh, <laughs> That's quite an achievement when you're 16. <laughs> what a horrible! But thing. it was uh, so. I uh, started getting into construction, and my dad was in construction. My mom pleaded with me. You know, don't get in construction. You know, it's it's a tough business, and you know, it's uh, 
So I went for a period of two years and lived with my uncle and worked on his farm. And I, I quit smoking and doing drugs, but uh, there was really, uh, it was minimum wage, no future unless you're a landowner. So after two years, I came back and quickly got back into drugs and alcohol and uh, gotten You were back with again. your original friends then? That's back right. Back in that environment? Yeah. How old were you at this time now? Well, um, about 20. And 20 years old. You'd lived a whole lifetime already on the wrong side of the track. That's right, yeah. So, but I was talented in uh, construction, and so uh, the uh, employers overlooked, you know, a lot of the uh, drug addiction and alcohol use, and because, you know, productive getting things done. I had the privilege of working with some of the top construction firms in California. And one of them was a company that worked for uh, the federal government and uh, army bases. And uh, one of them was in Sacramento at an Air Force base. And after work, we would stop by this uh, little strip club on the way home. And uh, there I seen this girl. She was, uh, she was just beautiful. And I told myself, if I ever got married, I would want to marry a girl just like that, you know. That's what I need and to find is a girl in a strip club, right? <laughs> so I started um, going there regularly and started to know this girl. Her name was Claire, and one night she needed a ride home. And, uh, and you did not miss that opportunity? So her friend said, I know who you are. I got your license plate number, you know. So, you know, so she had if something happened to her, yeah. she came up missing. But on the way home, we stopped in like at the Denny's and bought her a dinner and uh, we hit it off and uh, we started dating and uh, we uh, had a lot of the same hobbies, you know, drugs and alcohol and <laughs> marijuana. And so we got along great and we soon became inseparable. And uh, Can I ask you, Luther, before you go on, I mean, if that's your hobbies, how much money are you spending on the hobbies at that time? Oh, just all of it. You because know, you were undoubtedly just, earning good money oh, doing the yeah. construction you were, but none of it yeah. was going to planning for a future, That's retirement right. well, or savings. I was doing um, cocaine, but cocaine was quite expensive, and so started doing methamphetamines. And that was uh, a lot more intense, lasts longer, and it's a lot more cheaper, economical, and so Methamphetamines is one of the most addictive drugs there is. And, uh, and both so, of you still functioned at a real job. Right, you were still well, working. more or less, yeah. And, uh, well, uh, so, yeah, I was doing methamphetamines for over five years. And Claire was also doing methamphetamines, but uh, uh, once you get involved in that, it's hard to get out, you know. It just, it gets you, it's, uh, but, there was a place that I knew of way up in the mountains called Mono Hot Springs. There was these hot springs way up in the mountains. It was quite a long drive, but we went up there and it was sort of like our honeymoon, you know. It was, we was not married, but we were sort of was inseparable living together. And uh, so we was up there for about four days and uh, we consumed all the drugs and alcohol we had. And on the way back, we're, we're driving and she's telling me, um, how she had gotten to the Baha'i faith, how she, uh, you know, they believe that Jesus is a, was a good man and a prophet, and uh, 
I said, well, no, you know, I knew because I was raised up at church school and going to church that Jesus was the uh, Son of God, you know, and told her about the uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then she was telling me what they believed about uh, reincarnation, you know, and uh, how, you know, like if you're a, a good cow, you know, you can advance on up. And so I told her, you know, no, told her, you know, that's, you know, told her about the state of the dead, and uh, so you, as a as a young man, you had had all of these things kind of shoved in there somewhere. That's correct. Yeah, and then uh, she told me what they believed about evolution. You know, and I said, well, no, it's quite clear in the Bible. You know, God created the heaven and earth in six days, and uh, so it was. You know, I was giving her a Bible study. Did she study have right any there. Christian background? Had she heard any of this before? No. So. I, you know, we both wanted to get out of our lifestyle of drugs and alcohol, and I told her there was a church I used to go to when I was a kid. We could go there. And so that uh, very uh, weekend, we went to church, and uh, she had to work that afternoon, so she had her mini skirt on with her makeup, <laughs> and I was, I had my beard and I had long hair, and uh, we walked in that back door of the church, my mom almost fell off the uh, pew. That's where your <laughs> mom went to church. That's right. Oh, wow. And so it's amazing. Everybody just, you know, loved us and accepted us. And nobody said we couldn't be smoking out in the parking lot. And, and uh, it was just a whole series of miracles, you know, that nobody, you know, they just loved us. And they just let the Holy Spirit do its job. And they just did their job just by loving and accepting us just the way we were. So you started coming on a regular basis then? Yeah, there was a uh, evangelistic series going on there and so we started going. So Claire must have liked the experience of going to church with you. She must have liked the people that she met there. That's right and one thing that really got her is her lifestyle. She had uh, multiple abortions and she was just racked with guilt with these abortions and she medicated to help, you know, dull that pain. And uh, when she heard that God forgives all manner of sin, and even that of abortion, it just, you know, it was just such a relief to her, you know, and just the... She didn't have to carry that guilt just anymore. the beauty of the Christian message, you know, that there's a loving God that loves us, and then be surrounded by people that loved us and expressed that love, it was uh, wonderful. So. Uh, we told the pastor that we wanted to get baptized and get married, and that was before we knew that she was pregnant. So it was, uh, so we, the pastor ended up baptizing us anyways, and then we had our son, his name was Forrest, and then, then we got married. So it was sort of backwards, but uh, it was, um, you know. Now that isn't the normal way it necessarily happens. How come it happened that way? Well. Claire had been married before, and her previous husband, they never gotten a divorce, and he married two other ladies without ever divorcing. <laughs> so it was rather complicated getting the divorce through so we could get married. And so... Took a little longer than you might have wanted. <laughs> so it was unconventional, but uh, the pastor just thought that he was impressed to go ahead and baptize us, you know. Tell me, at that moment, when you were being baptized, the two of you, what kind of feelings were going through you at that time? Well, it was uh, just being a 
uh, being free, you know, from the drugs and, you know, smoking. It was just, uh, when we was baptized, it was just one week before we was baptized, we quit smoking, and so it was just... Do you know, I was just about to ask you, how big a problem were things like alcohol and drugs and the smoking? Were they still issues for you? Still a struggle? Well, yeah, first we got off the methamphetamines, and that was one of the most difficult things, you know, ever did, but uh, we started talking about Jesus to the people that were the other drug addicts and dealers, and they, you know, pretty much, you know, and then we pretty much hit bottom, didn't have any resources, and so my mom took us in, and so we were a, away from all the people that we knew, and so that helped us get off the methamphetamines, and then we uh, quit smoking um, marijuana, because it was, uh, you know, the pastor was coming over to do Bible studies with us, and we go, well, we've got to wait till he leaves before we get high, you know, and so, <laughs> anyways, but, so that didn't last long, but the cigarettes was tough too, but nobody said, you're going to have to quit smoking before you uh, get baptized. They just let the Holy Spirit convict us. and um, so. Luther, after you're baptized and you've got this new walk, you talked about these old friends who were all the drug dealers and everybody else. Did you find that all of a sudden you happen to have a lot of people offering you free drugs, free things? To try I, to get you back The reason in. I ask is because that's what happened to me is all of a sudden for the first time everybody wanted to give me stuff. Never happened before, I had to pay for it. <laughs> uh, not in my case. We were, um, had a new baby, and so we were going to church and got involved in church, and we pretty much withdrew from that whole lifestyle, and uh, so we had new focus. And uh, so Claire, uh, she was a smart girl, and she uh, started going to school, and she became a licensed vocational nurse. and. I uh, started working, you know, in, with my brothers, and we started a construction company, and it became quite successful. And so we were doing uh, jobs all up and down the state, and you know, was working so, uh, you know, six days a week. Started working 12 hours a day, and Claire was working night shift, you know, because as a new nurse. And so we, you know, start, you know, I would take over at night, you know, with the kid, and then she would be there during the day, and uh, so we sort of became um, two ships in the night, you know, we started growing apart from each other and from God, and uh, Claire was um, watching a TV evangelist, and he was talking about how he prayed if it took him getting cancer to make it to the kingdom for God to bring it on, and she prayed that same prayer in her heart, and, uh, Meaning she was willing to sacrifice anything, it's just whatever to make it takes it to, get to, the kingdom. to get me yeah. back on the right path. And um, in 2000, uh, February of 2007, she was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And uh, she said she didn't get cancer, but she got her own special disease. But uh, she had early onset you know, of the disease back in uh, 2005, and as a nurse, she couldn't open up the pill bottles, and she almost uh, dropped patients and stuff. So at Christmas of 2005, she quit working, and they tried everything, you know, but nothing, you know, ulnar nerve transposition and carpal tunnel, and you know they thought that would cure it, but she just kept getting weaker and weaker, her arms, and uh, and she got the diagnosis. You know, it was really tough. The doctor looked at us and said, "Sorry, you know." 
um, no known cure, you know, no known cause. And uh, so I had, I quit working so we wouldn't have any resources so we can qualify for all the programs and we could, um, uh, so I could be her primary caregiver, you know, because her arms quit working. I had to do everything for her. I had to feed her, comb her hair, dress her, and, and help her go to the bathroom, you know, with everything. You just How did you deal with that? Well, um, Did you was, feel resentful? Were you angry at God? Well, um, what we did was uh, she prayed for that, and so we counted it as a blessing, you know, and Bible says, in all things, praise and thank the Lord. And so that's what we started doing. We started concentrating on what she could do and what she couldn't. And uh, we had uh, tremendous support from the church family. They uh, helped us. And um, so, you know, we had a house that we had bought in and, uh, but couldn't pay, make payments anymore. And that was like uh, 2008. And that was, uh, that was really hard. So you went from having a very successful business, both of you working and good at your jobs and everything, down to nothing, less than nothing. Yeah, we had to uh, spend all our uh, savings and you know our retirement, and so that was all completely spent. And uh, so we went to sign How up. How old for... were you, your children at this time? Well, Forrest when she was, was in um, it was in high school, so it was really. Uh, a God thing because it got me back, you know, when he really needed the more intense parenting. You, you weren't know, working when, six days a week and not there yeah, for him. Yeah, I was there and so... You mentioned parenting. I know we'll jump around just a little bit, but you mentioned parenting and I'm thinking back to your beatings and your family life. As you were raising this family as a real Christian, how, what kind of thoughts were going through your mind about this? I'm sure you had thoughts of the old life and now you've got a family. Yeah, well, sometimes the pendulum swings the other way, you know, where you're, you know, spare the rod and spoil the child. <laughs> well, I did swack them a couple of times on the bottom, but I never was abusive, you know. Uh, you know. But you taught them about the Lord. That's right, yeah, we went to church and, uh, yeah. Scientists tell us that humans have four basic needs for survival. Food, water, air, and shelter. But beyond mere survival, we also need to know that someone cares about us. And there is someone who cares. Someone who is always there. This little tract, Someone Cares About You, is full of Bible verses that will help you know just how much God cares for you. It's absolutely free. Just go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org and request offer number 123, Someone Cares About You. Introducing Talking Donkey International. God once used a donkey to spread His Word, but He'd rather use all of us. It's time to prepare quality programming created to attract and reach viewers of the world, not just those of our denomination. Together, we can carry the final Advent message to the individuals of planet Earth and hasten the return of our Lord. Please pray for and support the successful mission of Talking Donkey International.
you said you prayed to God. I mean, things are falling apart. You prayed to God. Did God answer? Uh, he did. Uh, it was just one miracle after another. We called the bank and they said the paperwork wasn't correct. And so they put a stop to the uh, sale on the courthouse steps. And then, you know, after a matter of months, you know, they was going to sell it again on the courthouse steps. And then they put the uh, moratorium on the foreclosures. And so it was a period of about nine months or a year where that sort of settled down. They got things settled. And so they uh, uh, started it again. And it was just terrible, you know, the, Every time they'd do it, you know, they'd come and put the papers on the door, you know, and and uh, it was just, uh, you know, just, uh, but we just uh, kept hanging on to God. And uh, they finally, um, they finally did sell the house on the courthouse steps. And um, it was... Um, what did you do? Uh, well, um, we cried out to God again, didn't know what to do. And uh, it was in 2011 that the sheriff it was uh, in June the sheriff showed up and so the sheriff knocked on the door and uh, said we had six days to get out and I just I can't know. even imagine your stress level because just your wife those issues or just your finances and and losing the house either of those would be enough I think to put me over the edge and you're having them all at the same time yeah, so I told the sheriff who was trying to get a uh, bankruptcy going, and he grabbed hold of that. He didn't want to throw us out, you know. And so he said, you get that going, and that will pull hold on the eviction. So we was able to get a bankruptcy going, and so that put a hold on the eviction. And so um, bankruptcy takes about six months. And so that was just right at the end of November, the beginning of December, when the bankruptcy was done. And so the, uh, the uh, bank called and said, well, seeing how it's the holidays and everything, you can stay in the Someone house with past, a heart at the bank. past Christmas, you know, to, you know, before you have to get out. But uh, our church family, some of the uh, members uh, worked at the Sacramento Bee, the, the major newspaper in Sacramento. And so they sent some reporters out and they was doing a story about, you know, uh, the crisis of having, uh, you know, uh, health issues without insurance and, and, you know, a foreclosure. And so they called the bank and they said, we're doing this story where the media were doing the story. What are you guys going to do about it? And they said, well, you know, they would get back to us. And so um, our church was doing a day of fasting and prayer. It was Tuesday after. After uh, when the uh, <clears throat> newspaper called them, and uh, so got a. Usually I didn't answer the phone, but the caller ID said uh, CEO Bank, you know, of America. <laughs> oh, and wow. so I picked up, and they said, "Well, uh, in light of all your circumstances, you know, we'll let you stay in the house till your um, wife dies, and then we'll let you stay in a." for a period of um, uh, mourning. And so it was, uh, so they ended up doing a newspaper story. Claire always wanted to be an evangelist or, you know, tell others about Christ. She didn't know how she could do it, but the newspaper did a front page Sunday newspaper on us. And, you know, with a full page in the back about our whole story about how we got out of drugs and how, you know, we you know, uh, got our lives together and then through this disease was losing everything. And 
the, that um, reached quite a wide audience. It did. There were they had calls. Uh, the church got calls from 26 states and three countries, and uh, then uh, the one of the major uh, television stations sent a crew out, and they interviewed uh, me, and and I was able to tell them, even though we're losing our home and losing everything as a Christian, our our home is in heaven. Amen. And, uh, Amen. Now, I know, Luther, there, your story is so wonderful, and you've got so much more to go. We've only got just a few minutes left. Um, I know the, the last moments of your life together with your sweetheart was kind of tough. And then God brought you in another new life. Well, um, yeah, Claire had, um, she started to, uh, quality of life was going downhill. And so just a little bit before she died, you know, she looked up in my eyes and said, well, I'll see you in heaven, you know. And uh, so she, um, you know, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Hold, I loved when it you know, took the last breath, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was, uh, <clears throat> so, but it really brought into sharp focus what's really important, you know. Mm -hmm. That's our relationship with God and our a relationship with our families and everything else is so transient you know can just be gone in yeah. an instant so I what has your life been like since then so I uh, decided I would dedicate my life and time and talents to uh, service to God and so I've been able to volunteer and help um, use my talents and construction talents you know and Africa and India South America Central America and God has led me to a new relationship with a woman that just uh, recently lost her husband. And so together we're serving in our local community and around the world. So it's been a, the second life really has been a major blessing in a different way. Amen. Yeah, I tremendously miss my uh, wife, Claire, but uh, you know, this is a whole new life and um, it'll be interesting in heaven, you know, to, that grand reunion and Amen. Amen. Luther, you've been on an amazing journey. Lots of tears and sorrows, but happiness also. What would you share with our audience today of maybe why they should follow God? Well, it's so easy to get discouraged and downcast when uh, things don't go your way. But, uh, you know, we called uh, Psalms 34 says, uh, you know, we called out to God and he answered us and delivered us from all our fears. So God can be trusted and he always, uh, you know, is a, a firm rock to hang on to. I'm going to have to remember that verse every day myself. Amen. Luther, thank you for sharing today. Sure appreciate it. You're welcome. Scientists tell us that humans have four basic needs for survival. Food, water, air, and shelter. But beyond mere survival, we also need to know that someone cares about us. And there is someone who cares, someone who is always there. This little tract, Someone Cares About You, is full of Bible verses that will help you know just how much God cares for you. It's absolutely free. Just go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org and request offer number 123, Someone Cares About You. Hey, thanks for joining us for Country Wisdom. See you next time.